welcome to Life on Side B. Uh, this is Grant, and I'm here with Scott Her, a close friend. Um, say hi, Scott. Hello. Um, hello. hello, Side B people. We're so excited you're here. Um, we a couple, a few episodes back, maybe several. Um, those are all ambiguous words. Several episodes back, we had uh, a panel representing lots of different perspectives from different uh, Christian traditions. And for due to some interesting circumstances, we did not have a Catholic on the panel, um, which was a real, a real sad day. Mm, and yeah. so I get the pleasure and honor Thank you. Of chatting with you um, as a baby Catholic myself. I'm very excited to glean yeah. all this wisdom from you, Scott. <laughs> I was a baby Catholic once too. So. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I guess to start off, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, you want to share a little bit about yourself? Like, who are you, Scott? Who is Scott? What's <laughs> What's your deal, Scott? Well, I guess I'm here because I am Catholic. Um, So I'm, yeah, I'm a a Catholic Christian. I'm part of the Eastern, one of the Eastern Catholic churches. So we could touch on that a little bit um, later, I guess. And also I am obviously side B, in my theology, it kind of goes together, mm-hmm. <laughs> being Catholic and being side B. Um, yeah, I grew up, I was not raised Catholic. So like you, I became Catholic um, later, later, not later in life, but when I was in my 20s. Mm-hmm. And, or, yeah, yeah. And um, I... Yeah, I guess, I guess I don't, I don't, (laughs) maybe I should start over. (laughs) No, no, that's good. Well, actually that, yeah, that leads into like, I wanted to hear more because Mm -hmm. you've had such a, uh, a complex journey Mm -hmm. to where you are now. Yeah. Um, it's not, it's not a tradition that you were born into. Right. Um, and you've had sort of a long journey and how you've lived that out too mm-hmm. um, yeah. in lots of different ways yeah so that's true do you have like i don't know yeah you want to share about that journey sure sure so i was born into a lutheran a family that was lutheran 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 church missouri synod mm-hmm. so a rather conservative lutheran d- denomination that um is very traditional in terms of morality, interpreting scripture, very, very faithful to kind of a, a very, like staying very close to the Lutheran, you know, write, writings of Luther and a, mm-hmm. a much more conservative understanding of those things than some other Lutheran denominations. Um, like, you know, there are no women clergy. It's a very, it's, um, very pro-life, um, many, many things that you would, you would consider, um, in that regard in terms of morality and, and that interpretation of scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, and also of course being, I don't know when I was, a teenager in the 1980s and coming to terms with my sexuality. Um, I didn't really understand or know of side A or side B. Those terms actually hadn't been invented at that point. So (laughs) there were no, there were no reference points in terms of, of that. There was just kind of, you know, people were just starting to come to terms or starting to understand or, or develop ideas of affirming theology um, cause the metropolitan community church hadn't been around that long at mm-hmm. that point. And, and there wasn't a lot of work I think that had been done at that point, but obvi- I don't really know. I was just, I wasn't like delving into a lot of theological, um, books at that point. I was just trying to figure out 
who I was. Yeah. And, <laughs> and what, what a time was. to try and figure that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, in, and it was in Lincoln, Nebraska too. So it was in the middle of the country. Oof. Um, yeah. In a, in a kind of a strange, not, not strange in the sense of like bizarre, but just being in Lincoln, which uh, was probably a little bit more progressive compared. It always has been a little bit more progressive compared to the rest of the state. And, and so I remember being, um, I went to a Lutheran junior high and then coming to a public high school where actually I met uh, a gay activist um, oh. pretty on early on in my, he was a year ahead of me in high school, but he um, really kind of opened my eyes to the whole idea of, of what it, what it was to be gay and somebody who was so out and obviously gay and, and not, not feeling like he had to hide that made um, a big impact on me and did help me to start the process of coming out when I was 16. So, um, and I'm 52 now, so it's, um, so it's been a long time since I've started coming out to people um, and coming in and out and though, and different ways of talking about it and that sort of stuff. And so, um, so in the process of that, that kind of, opened me up to other possibilities of what it might mean to be a Christian Mm -hmm. and kind of led me in on a, on a journey that took me to some progressive um, branches of Christianity. There was a a United church of Christ church in Lincoln, Mm -hmm. which even at the time was already blessing, you know, same sex unions and had already started to, to embrace those things that many, many, many other Christian denominations weren't even considering at mm-hmm. that point. And so, and also I, I was very much involved with music. I was a singer and a musician and the music program at this church was, was pretty amazing. And so that was a big draw for me as well. So, so I started investigating that and that opened up kind of this idea that Christianity, Christianity um, could be something more than just a matter of personal, like a personal relationship with Jesus or, or the fact that it was just a matter of adhering to right doctrine or something mm-hmm. like that. But there was also a social aspect of Christianity, which in my experience, growing up in my, in the, the church, the local church that I was a part of, there wasn't a lot of of an emphasis on the on the social aspect and so and in kind of in the ucc church that i went to well or yeah i went to for a while because i sang in the choir there and um i it there was definitely a lot more emphasis on that um so so that kind of set me up i think in a way to discover the catholic church um, when I went to university and I majored in music, I one of the people I met along the first time was um, one of the staff accompanists at the university, and he introduced me to the idea of, of Catholicism. He was a high church Anglican at the time, and he's since become a Catholic, but he 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 introduced me to all sorts of Catholic things, and you know the Rosary and and all sorts of things, and kind of through my my own personal study and prayer i came to an understanding that the catholic church um was the church that christ had founded and Mm -hmm. that it still it had it had been preserved down through the centuries um and really one of the the things that led me to that understanding was this idea of where what about the Bible? You know, where, <laughs> where, where, where does scripture fall in the whole history of the church and all that sort of stuff? Because I had been raised in a tradition that held to sola scriptura, mm-hmm. you know, that if it, it was scripture alone, you know, the ba- the battle cry of the reformation, yeah. which of course, you know, faith alone, scripture alone, you know, all those, all those alones. And, and it, there was a, 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 a like a, a moment where I can remember 
um, coming to this realization that actually scripture came out of the church and out of the prayer and reflection of the Christians who were already working, like from the moment Jesus ascended, from the moment of, uh, well, not from the moment he ascended, but from Pentecost, beginning with Pentecost, that the gospel was already being preached and was being spread throughout the world, but there was nothing written. <laughs> For, you know, I think, you know, the first 40 years of the church, yeah. give or take, 40, 60 years, there were there was nothing written. And, and then, of course, Paul started writing up, you know, the epistles and then the gospels were written and there, you know, and then coming to understand that there were also other works out there that were being read in the, in the, like the Didache and the, um, you know, some of those, like the, some of the letters of the early popes, um, the bishops of Rome, and, and some of those were already being written, read in the churches as if they were scripture. And that it wasn't, you know, we had the Old Testament canon, obviously, and then the New Testament wasn't solidified until several, you know, hundred years into the history of the church. And, and I remember a friend of mine who, well, he's now, he's a Melkite priest, Melkite Catholic priest. He's a scripture scholar. And he was saying, you know, one of the ways that they determined which books were canonical and which books weren't was that the books that were in harmony with the tradition that had been passed down from the from the preaching of the apostles, when those books were found to be in harmony with that, that was one of the key indicators to the bishops, you know, in the mm -hmm. councils that these books were the inspired word of God. Yeah. And so it was it was really eye opening. Like it was just like a, a moment of like, whoa, you know, it was kind of like, you know, if this if this is the church that gave us scripture, you know, because obviously at that time the Orthodox and the Catholic churches were still very much united. And, you know, these were the church you know, this was the church that gave us scripture, then this must be the church that knows, you know, how to yeah interpret it and and sees it in terms of of the long history because you have that unbroken connection to our lord for sure and so that that was one of the things yeah, yeah. so that's kind of how i ended up here uh-huh uh-huh in a law i guess it's kind of long but yeah um maybe even more specifically i'm wondering mm -hmm. about like the eastern eastern tradition mm -hmm. that you found yourself yeah. in I know it's, yeah. it's one thing to find yourself in right. the Catholic church. Right. Um, but you, you find yourself into a really niche, <laughs> niche <laughs> church within the Catholic church. So yeah. how did that happen? Yeah. yeah. So, so, um, so there's a lot, lot of, lot of water that went under the bridge at that point, because yeah. I did spend time in a monastery for about seven years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and I was studying for the priesthood and, and yeah, and so, and I had always had an interest in the Eastern churches. So, so a lot of people aren't aware of this, but the Catholic Church is really, it's really a, a communion of 24 um, separate churches that are mm -hmm. all in communion with each other. They're all, um, they all recognize in a certain sense, the primacy of, of the Pope. Mm -hmm. Um uh, not in a not not necessarily in a like a um, a um, authoritarian way, but kind of like this is the 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 first bishop, so first to speak. among equals. Yeah, yeah. Um, many Eastern Catholics will talk about it that way. Yeah, um, and the Orthodox, of course, talk about it that way too. But um, yeah, so a lot of water went under the bridge, and I was in a fascination with eastern churches and i did attend eastern parishes for um periodically off and on when i had the opportunity to do that and there is something really um beautiful and amazing about the eastern churches because in some ways they have not been touched by some of the liturgical reforms that happened mm. to the roman catholic church so so to take a step back, the Roman Catholic Church, which is what most people think of when they think of the church, that would be the church of the of that came out of the 
the patriarchate of Rome, because there were five major centers of Christianity historically. And Rome was the first, considered like the center of all of that. And for for all sorts of different reasons, Rome, the the Rome was the only patriarchate that was in the Western part of the Roman Empire. And so it spread throughout the whole Western Empire. And then through all of its missionary work, it went into the New World. And it just, you know, became the, the largest of all of them. And then at different points, because of different historical reasons, um, some members of some bishops from some of the Orthodox churches sought to be reunited with Rome and at different points and then they were allowed to keep their liturgical traditions and their mm -hmm. theological traditions and and there were different agreements and things that were were entered into very complicated but then they they came back into communion with rome um and at because at a certain point you know the eastern church split with the Western Church, and it's oh, got all, it's very complicated history, but, um, but so at a certain point, then all of those churches came back. So, so after Vatican II, which happened in the 1960s, there were a lot of reforms that happened in the Western Church, in the, in the Roman Catholic Church, that didn't impact the Eastern Catholic Churches in the same way. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the Eastern Catholic Churches were told in Vatican II to go back to go more back to their roots as Eastern Easterners. And so a lot of times that meant, um, you know, being more authentic to the Eastern tradition and the Eastern expression of the faith, which um, is a little bit different than the Western expression yeah. of the faith. And in some ways, um, because of the liturgical reforms in the West, there isn't always the continuity between the, you know, what, what was done for for thousands and thousands of years sometimes isn't seen as readily apparent. It isn't as readily apparent sometimes, depending mm -hmm. on the parish and depending on where you're going. But for many of the Eastern churches, um, the liturgy that is celebrated is very much the same liturgy that was celebrated in like the fourth century or yeah. the fifth century sometimes. So and cool. so there and 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 also at the time I was in a. Um, in a celibate partnership with uh, with a um, with a guy who was seeking, he had been raised Nazarene, and then he was went to an Episcopal church, and then he was he was he was just he was doing a lot of study, and he was trying to go back and forth between Catholicism and Orthodoxy, and eventually he ended on Orthodoxy. And at the time, I was living in Lincoln, and I discovered there was a Melkite Catholic um, community that had sprung up and they were having liturgy regularly and so this all kind of rekindled my interest in the eastern church and going to this particular community i i was i just was it was like wonderful the yeah. beauty of the liturgy the way the church the way the faith was expressed um it it really took me in and i started going regularly and at a certain point excuse me i just i decided I didn't want to be a, a tourist anymore. I didn't want to be a liturgical yeah. tourist. So I I decided to ask to change churches, basically, yeah. which is kind of an official. So I, I left the Latin, the Roman Catholic Church and became a Melkite yeah. Catholic. So. so cool. Yeah. 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 But in terms of like my journey as a side B person, like in terms of the gay part of me. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask, how um, does that fit in? Well, you know, so, so, um, well, you know, coming so you, to a, so you said that a boy yeah. brought you into the Melkite church basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In a way, indirectly, cause he, he eventually became Orthodox and now yeah. I don't, I, I've lost touch with them a little bit, but, um, but yeah, yeah. So in a way, yes, yes, this is true. This is true. But, um, but I can remember like when I was 16, you know, in those few years when I was like, oh, kind of coming to terms of what, what it would be, what it would mean to be gay and that sort of stuff. And not really finding that in a lot of traditional Christian churches, like finding no answer or, yeah. you know, other than just don't talk about it or because <laughs> um, there wasn't even really 
I don't, I don't even think at that point there was much talk about any kind of reparative therapy or anything like yeah. that. I mean, there were, yeah, yeah. And then in the eighties, there wasn't really much of anything going on other than um, people starting to be afraid of gay people because of AIDS and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and so, and of course that the, the response of many Christians was, of course, we all know how that went and <laughs> the wedge that it drove between the gay community and the Christian church, which was kind of already there, but it made it more apparent. And so I can remember um, when I discovered this about the Catholic church, you know, discovering that about the doctrinal issues and those sorts of things. um, I remember thinking, well, this makes, and, and the, the friend who was introducing me to Catholicism also happened to be gay. So, so he, understood a lot of the 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 challenges and that sort of thing that comes with yeah with being gay and being catholic and and the battles of chastity and all those sorts of things that come For with sure. it and and so a lot of my being side b um theologically comes because of where i believe god wants me in terms of the christian church he wants me a part of yeah um because, I mean, to be frank, a lot of times I don't always find a lot of peace in being side B. I mean, frankly, it's not, it's not all, you know, it's not all wonder and great and all this other sort of stuff like that. But when I think about being side A or I look at side A arguments, there's not a lot of peace in terms of like thinking, oh, if I go embrace side A, then all of my problems will be solved and I'll be, I'll feel great and everything will be wonderful. Now, there are people who, who experience that and, you know, and I, I can't, I mean, I, 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 I can't speak against that in terms of like, no, you don't think that way. That's not true. You know, that's, that's mm-hmm. there, you know, especially people who, who, who do it prayerfully and really um, are doing a lot of seeking. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I can't speak against that in a certain sense, but, but for me, it, it just has never really, um, it never has felt, it, it never has felt like it's, it's the place where I feel like God is calling me, is like moving me in that direction. So for, for a lot of times, it, it, and I, I learned Early on, I remember someone saying to me, actually, the the, the guy who helped me into the Catholic Church initially, mm-hmm. um, I remember him saying that Madeline Longlow's spiritual director had told her that you should never move anywhere unless you feel unless you feel drawn to that place rather than running away from something. Mm. And I've always remembered that and I've always kept that in the back of my mind when I've because there have been times even since I became like Melkite Catholic when historically and even now a lot of times either because people just don't know or you know eastern catholics haven't always been treated very well and sometimes it's very tempting you think oh if i just go and become orthodox it'll be so much better but but at the same time i've never felt any peace in leaving um yeah the eastern catholic churches to go be orthodox and so i'm just like well i this is i i i feel like unless God like really shows me like, okay, I'm, you're, you're moving yeah. in this way. This is definitely where I want you to go. Then, I, then I will stay where I am. Yeah. So, that's, anyway. I think that's so healthy because a lot of times inside B land, we can end up pursuing a particular church or a particular community or even side B theology at large because we're running away from something else Hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. or we're saying no to something instead of feeling like we're saying yes to something shout out to Eve Tishnet I just repurposed a quote from her she's incredible (laughs) but um, right Right. yeah I think that's that's so healthy (laughs) yeah yeah exactly exactly and I mean when I first discovered um well, okay, so when I was in the monastery, I mean there wasn't a lot of there wasn't there wasn't a lot of talk about homosexuality except in terms of um kind of reparative therapy because that was in the I went to the monastery in the 90s. Yeah. 
And so, and, and that was when Nicolosi was beginning. And, um, and I remember him coming to the monastery and they present a lot of his, his ideas. And um, wow. at one point I started, I, I was a client of Nicolosi's for about three years because I, the monastery where I was, was in Southern California. And so I would, I was a client of his for about three years wow. and it was, it was okay. I definitely am. I can't say, I mean, I think there are lingering elements of shame and things that I still deal with that I've, I've come to recognize really in the last two or three years that I think probably come from that period of my life and maybe some other, some, some other periods too. But, but I, I, I can, but in general, it, it didn't leave me, I didn't have as negative an experience as some people have had. So I, I do know that many, many people have been really harmed by his work and by other, you know, other people like him. Um, And so, and so in, in some ways when it, when it became more just like regular therapy, um, there were things that I definitely learned and appreciate from that time. Um, But a lot of it I have had to work through and kind of put to the side. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. So. um, It feels like whatever experience people could possibly think of when it comes mm -hmm. to side B, you've lived it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You were discerning a priesthood. You were in a monastery. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You went through escape therapy. You, You did it all, girl. I have, yeah, I guess I have done a lot, haven't I? Um, yeah, when, when you get to be as old as I am, yeah, well, anyway, I think of that line from Pippin, like, when you're as old as I am, <laughs> and yeah. from, yeah, Cabaret, but anyway, um, shout out to musical theater. Um, so, uh, so getting back, kind of, I realized I went off on a tangent. Um, so... Then coming out of the monastery is when I discovered um, the Gay Christian Network on the line, oh, and yeah. it took me it took me a little while to get to the point where I could actually create a profile with my real name and with yeah. my image, and because initially I didn't want to do that, and um, and I remember discovering this thing that was called Side B and what it was, and and it was like, whoa, what is all this, and um, and so. It, it definitely, at the time, side B was not the most happy, it was not the happiest place on earth. I mean, it was, it was <laughs> I can't filled imagine. with, right, right. And, and we still, and, and I, I think we have inherited a lot of that and we're trying yeah. to work through a lot of that sort of thing, but, but it's been, it's, it's still hard for a lot of people, I think in so many ways, but, um, that it was just really, really filled with a lot of uh, angst and a lot mm. of fear and just a number, not a lot of joy. And so, yeah. So it's um, it's been quite a journey to get to that point. And there was one guy I remember meeting, and he really helped me um, in terms of kind of understanding a little bit of the joy more. The yes, I guess that's yeah. that's the more that's what made me think of it when you said saying yes to something rather than yeah than no so yeah well, what, what we can't do rather than what we can do yeah. absolutely yeah i think that um i remember the first time that we met so we connected mm-hmm. through an online community and we realized right. that we were both spending winter break uh, a mm-hmm. few days in lincoln and so we got yes. to meet up in lincoln and i think yes I was still very much a baby in, I was just dipping my toes into the water of side B. And so like I, my, my convictions had never had not really radically ever changed. They just sort Mm -hmm. of deepened and like become nuanced. And so like Mm -hmm. side B just sort of naturally fell into my lap. I was like, Oh, this is, this is it. This is what I am. Mm -hmm. And so, um, 
But talking with you the first time, I think you just, you exuded so much um, joy and comfort with yourself that it was really like... Well, thank you. It was scary, Scott. It was frightening (laughs) because I was, I think I was so... Really? I was so um, unsure of myself. Hmm. And I think I was wrestling with what you you were talking about, that legacy um, of of side B throughout the years of not being the happiest place on earth and Mm -hmm. dealing with a lot of shame and pursuing Mm -hmm. this, this way of life for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. And so you were just really comfortable with yourself and you said what was on your mind and you were happy and joyful. And this, it wasn't like meeting, it wasn't like an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. Is what I was trying to say, you know, like, okay. So at some points I needed that. Um, I needed Mm -hmm. like a a place to confess sin, but, um, that was decidedly not what our first experience together, Mm -hmm. our first time at like seeing each other at the coffee shop. So, yeah. Yeah. It was really cool. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. I don't think, I don't think we've ever talked about that before. So that was really cool. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think by that point I had um, worked through a number of things. I there there's still moments where I still mm-hmm. I still don't always you know I don't think maybe I exude it more than I than I feel it, which is fine. That's that's good mm-hmm. um, in a way. Uh, but I, by that point, yeah, because I had encountered courage, which mm-hmm. we can touch on a little bit more, I guess, but in terms of, <laughs> yep, you did that of, too, <laughs> of the official, the official kind of support group for lack of a better word for, um, same sex attracted Catholics. Yeah. Um, which is, yeah. Or they use, and I, it, it, and that's fine. I mean, I know there are many, there are side B people who are more, who are more comfortable with those terms. So I don't sure. say it in a, I don't mean it in a way that's, that is demeaning or anything, but, but that is the, the term they use. And it's not something that I'm comfortable with anymore. Um, yeah. using same sex attracted, for sure. although I was for a while. Me too. And, uh, yeah. And so, and so I had been through courage and then in the process of that, um, I had discovered, <laughs> there were a couple of things that I discovered. One was I discovered that there were actually politically conservative gay people which is like not related at all to to the religious discussion but in terms of coming to see kind of the gay community as something that wasn't monolithic which is something oh, that yeah. i i hadn't really known or experienced because every gay person that i ever met was like on the left and every mm-hmm. every gay person was not a christian and there were no such thing you know and then meeting Michael when I went to the university as a gay Christian and then meeting, you know, a gay Christian who had more traditional theological leanings, which because all the gay people I'd met before were Christians were much more progressive. Yeah. And then knowing that there were gay people who were conservative, that was just like, what? That's yeah. not supposed to happen. <laughs> and then and and then coming to um, encounter through blogs although the blogs don't exist anymore, of basically what were like Catholics, gay Catholics, who, who were kind of, who weren't really in the, in the model of what I had expected. I mean, it was, it was two gay Catholics who were in celibate, what we now seem to have settled on as the term as celibate partnerships. And which I, We've begrudgingly settled on one term. Yeah, I guess. Finally, in the side B world, we have a term that everybody seems to agree on. Yeah. Um, But I don't necessarily, at the time, they weren't called celibate partnerships, but that's what they would be. And hearing them speak about like the way the church talks about gay people, which is something that I had not experienced in the monastery or something that I had not experienced in, in reparative therapy. Um, or from priests who were kind of in that mindset, it was it was very eye-opening, and it 
kind of completely shifted my yeah. world. It was one of the little chinks that started to shift my worldview from being quite so black and white, quite so rigid to something that kind of where I am a little bit more today, yeah, I guess. For sure. um, yeah, because I remember um, thinking about the, the terms in the, in the catechisms of the Catholic Church when they talk mm-hmm. about homosexuality and how, you know, deep-seated and um, uh, objective, what's the term? Intrinsically um, disordered. Intrinsically disordered, yeah. And kind of thinking about how that had been interpreted to mean like the whole person was disordered mm-hmm. or the whole, you know, mentally people were disordered or emotionally, when really it just has to do with with if you have to put it in the context of the natural law mm-hmm. and and the understanding of that because i think that's something that a lot of people don't realize about the catholic church is that as opposed to some um evangelical parts of christianity or you know protestant parts or even even some branches of orthodoxy to some extent um the, the Catholic Church, especially coming out of the first Vatican Council, which happened at the end of the 19th century, um, that was the council that declared the doctrine of papal infallibility and mm-hmm. papal primacy and all that sort of stuff. But another part of that council, which people don't always think about, was that it, it kind of codified the Catholic understanding of faith and reason and how those two, th- those two aspects of of our our humanity in a way how they don't contradict each other Mm -hmm. and how they can how they work in harmony with one another or should ideally work in harmony with one another and a lot of catholic especially catholic moral teaching really comes out of philosophy and natural like moral philosophy and kind of the natural law, not the kind of, but out of the natural law and that sort of thing, kind of a reasoned understanding. And then those things, those things find, find resonance, find harmony with the divine revelation that we have also received as Christians. So it's kind of like St. Thomas Aquinas talks about this and other mm-hmm. Catholic theologians, you know, that as Christians, we already have all the answers, but the the natural sciences, the the moral moral you know moral philosophy and those sorts of things help give us um, reasons for what we believe, and therefore we can take those reasons and we can start to dialogue with people who yeah. don't have faith, and and we may not you know we we may not help them reach the same they you know but but these are truths which um you know if you look in romans when paul talks about mm-hmm. you know kind of a natural understanding of of yeah. the laws of god and conscience and those sorts of things traditionally the church has has always believed has had a robust appreciation understanding of the intellectual life and how that yeah. is necessary so that you can reach people who aren't Christian without, you know, on, you can find common ground with them. And so, so I think that's, um, you know, traditionally that, that's something that, um, that has helped a lot of, so that, that basically serves as a lot of the, the basis of the Catholic moral teachings, I guess. For sure. I don't know where I was going with that. I think I went off on another tangent. Well, that's a perfect segue because I was, um, one of the questions I was thinking about was, um like what are the what are the aspects of the catholic tradition mm-hmm. um that are especially important for side b folks mm-hmm. or to put it another way mm-hmm. um what makes the side b catholic experience unique compared mm-hmm. to a side b experience in other um christian mm-hmm. traditions i know mm-hmm. for me mm-hmm. natural mm-hmm. law mm-hmm. um was a huge part of what yeah. I found really um, uh, intriguing, comforting yeah. about yeah. the Catholic tradition because I wanted right. I wanted to find something that made sec- this, my sexual ethics make sense. Yeah, and so yeah. the Catholic Church seemed to provide that. Yeah, um, but yeah, what were, what are some other yeah. like aspects of of the Catholic Church that 
were especially helpful for you or that or that really make this i b catholic experience uh unique yeah so i think so in terms of theology and philosophy kind of working in harmony Mm -hmm. in a certain sense that i think is one thing if especially if you're a more intellectual person there's there's the the beauty of the church is that it it has it has it is the the faith is simple enough that anyone can grasp it but it's it also is so deep that if you do have an amazing intellect <laughs> that that it it the the riches the, like digging it's an endless treasure trove of yeah of of reflections and writings and um it's 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 really awe inspiring in a way yeah um so i think that that is that's one thing i think that does help to make it different i think another thing and this kind of goes along with it is really and and i i feel like in some ways because of the world we live in now that we have kind of lost sight of this even as contemporary catholics not entirely but definitely i think more so than maybe in the past is this really long sense of of what has come before us mm-hmm. so it's like you you have a very clear sense you know, in the Catholic Church and in the Orthodox churches too, of of this this long this long game. You yeah. know that that from the time like like physically like like people like priests have been ordained by men who were ordained by men who were ordained by men who were ordained all the way back to Christ. Like yeah. like it's a physical like it's an incarnational faith. You know that that is something because there's there's so much about the church, even out of Vatican II. I mean, the church is seen as the sacrament of the incarnation. You know, perpetuating the incarnation of Christ down through time and space. Yeah. So that what happened on the cross is able to touch us today, and so I I feel like I feel like as a side B gay Christian inserting yourself into that kind of like. What I was pictured of is kind of like the the walkway at the airport, you know, the the uh-huh. the moving sidewalks. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like at the the sidewalk is just moving along, moving along, moving along, and people are getting on at a certain point, and then they get off and they go, you know, they 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 pass through the veil, so to speak. But but throughout all of this, it just keeps moving and moving, and people get on, and and you you like just join the. You just join the saints. You join yeah. join those who have come before, who we still believe are are with with us um, in the communion of saints in the church triumphant, and and you just you just kind of become in that. And in a certain, you know, I like to reflect sometimes on the nameless saints, the the saints that aren't canonized, yeah, who who lived this life before me. You know, and I won't even know who they are, but um, until God willing, I reach heaven, um, you know, and and all of that. And what what stones did they lay that have helped me in my life and the ripples that they have they put out into the waters that I, you know, you they didn't even know they were doing them at the time, you know, but somehow somehow they have come and they have. They they touch me even now with their prayers, um, oh, and so so I I think that that is something uh, that that sense of really historical and belonging you know really inserting yourself into something that is so much bigger because yes you join a local parish and you are connected to a local group of people where the faith is incarnated where the faith. Um, is lived out day in and day out with these people, but there, there's always a sense that you're connected to to something much larger than yourself. I mean, yeah. you're just reminded of that. Just the fact that the liturgy every Sunday, really every day, the same liturgy is, you know, in each of the individual Catholic churches, you know, the Roman Catholic Church being the biggest, but that same liturgy is being, excuse me, is being celebrated every day yeah throughout the whole world and and it 
it's funny because you know there there are there are groups out there that have that <laughs> kind of seem to think they have rediscovered this idea of praying always and yeah. and it's it's funny to me because i think but that's if you yeah. look at like Orthodox monasteries, Catholic monasteries, the Jesus prayer, the rosary. I mean, there's all sorts of ways that people have been taught to pray always that are still going on that have never been interrupted. Yeah. Um, You know, it's like, it's like the doctrine, the, the idea of fasting and what that is, you know, that's something that has been going on since the beginning, you know, since the early, early church and many Christians, you know, rediscover it, which is, which is, it's cool, great, but, but it's, 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 it's funny. Yeah. It kind of, you know, but so I think that's, I think that's another thing. I think the other thing is because it's an incarnational church. And so it's not just a matter of, of where everything is spiritualized, where it's just about preaching, where, mm-hmm. where everything is a symbol, that sort of thing. Um, the sacramental life of the church, I think also makes a big, big difference. Yeah. Um, um, there is something very comforting about being able to go to confession um, yeah. when when you are well disposed and when you're ready to go um, to be able to meet with another person and to know that the grace of God is coming to you um, um, in a very, in a sure way. Yeah. I mean, to know that and the, the doctrine of the real presence in the Eucharist that you find in the yeah. Catholic churches, Orthodox churches too. Um, the, the idea that, that you are receiving in a mysterious way mm-hmm. um, the, the body and blood, soul and divinity, the body and blood of Christ. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and the other sacraments too, obviously the baptism and ordination and marriage yeah, sure. and those things. Um, I think, I think also, there, oh, there was something else that came to my mind in addition to the sacramental life of the church. But I also think um, if, if, if it's a good parish, and, and I think this is one of the weaknesses of the Catholic Church now, and especially in the United States, because the parishes are so big for all sorts of different reasons, um, you lose that sense of like the church of, as family, the mm-hmm. church as a community of people where everyone is welcomed and supported. And one thing that's also very nice about Eastern Catholic parishes is that they tend to be smaller <laughs> yeah. and they tend because they have this sense of like, like, you're connected to your local parish and then you're connected to a bishop and that bishop is in communion with other bishops and then eventually in communion with the patriarch and those patriarchs are all in communion. It's kind of like the local church takes on a little bit more importance in a certain sense to Catholics. Whereas like Western Catholics tend to think of like the Pope first and then moving down. So, so, um, so you, you get a little bit more of a sense of the church as as family, um, because you can really get to know people a little better. Yeah. Um, sometimes, um, yeah, depends on the people, obviously, but for sure, not that it's a perfect, but, but so I do, I do think that's one thing, especially, uh, in smaller parishes, you have that sense of community. I think another thing that's really helpful for Catholics and, and Orthodox Christians would share this also, because there's something common you you have a really strong history of chaste you know religious life monasteries absolutely um, you know especially in the roman catholic church all the priests all the clergy are celibate yeah (laughs) so so they're all married they're i mean they're all unmarried they're all unmarried um except for a few there are some and eastern catholics have married clergy so that's one of the differences between the East and the West. But even there are Roman Catholic priests who are married because they've yeah. come from, you know, Anglican churches or or sometimes, you know, there are men whose wives die and then they they go to the they go to the seminary. Um, and and so. So. Um, so yeah. you have that aspect also, you have a you have a more robust theology in a certain sense of chastity um now it doesn't take away from maybe when you're on the ground and depending on where you are sometimes certain 
you know, as sometimes certain people, certain parishes in different Catholic, you know, they, they expect people just to get married, you know, but, but it's also now because especially after Vatican II, people started to think about the idea of the single life and what that would mean and how you could be called to that. And there's not, there's also the idea of, um, secular institutes in the Catholic church, which are kind of like consecrated lay people where they're not, they're not, religious in the sense of they're not like monks and nuns living in a monastery wearing a wearing special clothes wearing what they call a habit they they look like other lay people but they are they're not married they're attached to a certain community and they do works you know in a way so they're they're kind yeah. of like a hybrid you know yeah. between between the lay life and kind of a yeah a consecrated lay person in a way and there's there's all sorts of different ways you can live out the faith the yeah. within the catholic church it's a very multifaceted way um all under this umbrella of unity and it's a bit of a mess sometimes dizzyingly but... complex yes, yes yes but so i think all of those are just some i'm sure there are others that i yeah i haven't thought of um but for me at least thinking about it i think those are some of the things that really um yeah make a difference for sure yeah those those really Mm. resonated with me too i'm thinking like Mm -hmm. some of the things that brought me into the catholic church i mean i had read just read a book uh the life you save may be your own uh a biography Mm. of four american catholics uh, with paul eli and uh two of them were dorothy day and thomas merton yeah um, who i call (laughs) mom and dad yeah. Um, so like the communion of saints, like their lives were so meaningful for me. Um, right. they, they had such a, such possibility. Um, and I was really inspired by them. The connection yeah. to history was something I really longed for because I had just sort of grown up thinking it was like the early church and then the reformation briefly. And then it was our church, the Baptists, <laughs> you know, like, um, right. And then, yeah. uh, yeah, the sacraments I've, mm-hmm. I've had amazing experiences with, not only with, with Eucharist, um, on Sundays, but regular confession has been just mm-hmm. incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it is a real load off my back to find <laughs> celibate people everywhere. <laughs> like they're everywhere yeah. in the church. Yeah. Like that just wasn't, that was not a thing in like growing up and so it's it's nice to be able to to say the word celibate and people know what i mean yeah and i don't have to explain myself and i can point to people who are doing the same thing and albeit in a different way yeah but yeah so i i really resonate with all of those i think those are true for me too yeah oh there was something that came to my mind when you were talking and now it's escaped it'll probably come back but it was it was about um, what was it what was anyway if I try to think about it 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 will go farther away so it'll come back eventually. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, it was some it's something um, with what you were talking about with Dorothy Day, Thomas Merton. I don't know. Anyway, it'll come back. Well, speaking of mom and yes. dad. Yes. Um. Are there any saints that have really spoken to you or any, um, Mm. even any um, devotions Mm -hmm. that have been really meaningful for you um, Mm -hmm. along your journey and by devotions for, for non-Catholic or Orthodox listeners, like um, lowercase t traditions of spirituality. Yeah. 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 Devotions tend to be like certain formulas of prayer that people pray on a regular basis or, you know, for different, there's all sorts of different histories behind them. Mm -hmm. Um, um, I think one saint who inspires me or inspired me (laughs) um, is, no, she, she does. Um, 
is Saint Mary of Egypt, and she is yeah. somebody who who I didn't really discover until I became an Eastern Catholic because she's not really talked about as much in the Western Church. Yeah. But but I first in, heard about but, her from my sponsor, who's Ruthenian. Yeah, exactly. So, so Saint Mary of Egypt was, and I, I think about her more because something that I have struggled with in the past that I still deal with um, is the idea of living ch- chastely. And she was someone who did not live chastely for a good portion of her early life. And it's, it's very openly talked about in her life. And she had a very immediate, she went on this, she joined these pilgrims basically as a way to kind of like seduce all the men, <laughs> I think, um, on the boat ride. And she pretty much did that apparently. And then she had this like incredible conversion experience, like an intense um, experience of the Theotokos, the Blessed Virgin Mary um, at the church of the, of the Holy Cross in Jerusalem, I think, or, or one of the churches in Jerusalem, I think it was Jerusalem. And, and then she repented and she just went off into the desert and lived for years and years and years. And, and just that, that kind of, to, to make such a big switch, obviously was a huge amount of grace that she was given and that she responded to obviously. But, um, but she is someone that I have looked to in the past to, as, um, as kind of for help in terms of who would understand what I'm going through. (laughs) Maybe, um, St. Augustine also, um, he also, while he's not (laughs) interesting, Scott, he wasn't gay, but, (laughs) but he did have a lot. Was he? Well, we don't know. He had a lot of experiences in his young life, so he, he could have been he could have been same sex attracted in some way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just we don't know. And that's the other thing is that when when you're talking about saints, especially you know at the time when they lived, um, people didn't people were not using this language. Yeah, people were not using gay. People were not thinking of it in the same way that we do now. So it's it's hard to put our modern conception of what what that mm-hmm. is on people from the the past. Um, and also um, when I was, when I was coming into the church, somebody who inspired me, he wasn't canonized at the time, but he is now is St. Um, John Henry Newman. Yeah. Um, of con- he, he's like a patron of converts basically. Yeah. 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 And he had a very, very, up. very close friendship with, um, with one of the the brothers who founded the oratory with which was like his community that he founded well yeah. he brought the oratory to england basically it was founded by saint philip neri who also has inspired me as well yeah who many people think probably was gay but but um yeah but yeah yeah what and a squash <laughs> What's that? What a squad. That's a yeah. good squad of saints. And I think, and also, well, a lot of them in, in just in, in different ways. Um, St. Joseph is another one. He's yeah. my patron. Um, I took mm. his name when I, for my confirmation. Yeah. And <laughs> I took the name then, Dorothy, but I was right. sort of ambiguous because oh. Dorothy Day isn't canonized yet. Right. Right. Yet. Um, yet but so i just picked dorothy there's lots of dorothy's but right i'm a friend of dorothy and a little dorothy now um which is wonderful yeah yeah (laughs) um yeah no there 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 are probably others and of course and of course i found a lot of comfort um i and i have found comfort in in the rosary which is something i i still pray i don't pray as often as i once did but i have returned to it um and the jesus prayer which is something you find in a lot of eastern churches as well yeah um some of those some of those things Mm -hmm. for sure yeah cool are there any parting thoughts for our listeners 
Um, I don't think so. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I I have. Um, I don't. I don't think so. I so I. So one of the things I think as people kind of look at the Catholic Church, maybe from the outside, and even people who look at from the inside, mm-hmm. um, for all sorts of reasons, I mean, that go beyond just this like little discussion. And that's another thing that I think is really cool for me has been kind of coming to a place where this aspect of being gay and LGBTQ plus stuff um, in terms, especially in terms of like where it fits morally, it, it kind of like putting it into the broader scheme of what it means to be a Christian because, because the Catholic church is the, the Catholic faith, the doctrine, the way it's formulated is so intertwined in a certain sense. Like you can't pull out sacramental theology without then touching on the dignity of the human person and Christ's humanity and, and all of, and you can't, you know, the doctrine of the Trinity is not divorced from, you know, the, the, the moral teachings of the church and those sorts of things. Sure. And you, you can't just separate it out. And so I, I feel like being able to, to kind of put it, integrate it into the whole has really helped me to be able to, um, to interact with other people and help, to help me to begin to find some kind of integrity between my faith and my, my sexuality. Yeah. Um, and, and I, th- so I, I think, for all sorts of other reasons, looking at from the outside, one of the things that the church is struggling with, I think, is how do we approach gay people um, pastorally, um, yeah. given given our modern world, and that is a whole, maybe a whole other discussion we to would, have. Another we point, would love but, to have you back to discuss yeah. that. <laughs> Pro- we probably are like, oh, okay, we've got like two pong. Okay, Scott, listeners yeah. are like, wait, you brought that up at the end. <laughs> this is like the segue, you know, like the cliffhanger at the end of the first episode yeah. <laughs> of a TV show. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you know, Pope Francis just a few days ago he made some remarks that uh, you know Pope Francis is a very that is a whole other topic, you know, in terms yeah. of like gay people and what he says and it yeah that's that's a whole other thing but i think it it goes to the heart of kind of like what is the church how is the church trying to reformulate things not in the sense of like change the doctrine because that there there's that's a whole other issue but yeah but in terms of how do we how do we approach people um in ways that we haven't in the past and maybe we have made mistakes in the past and we could do things differently. And um, so anyway. Yeah. Like how do we, how do we translate unchanging doctrine to a changing world, a world that has changed so much since, since the way these like were formulated in the past. Like, right. How do we continue to speak? Yeah. And that's the thing. Cause you know, most people don't, understand natural law most people don't think in those terms anymore and so how do you Mm -hmm. translate you know that into ways that people can understand yeah now and it's yeah so anyway no so i don't just other than the catholic church does have it does have a lot to offer to a side b person that is not explicitly like a support group or those sorts of things. Um, And I think, I think a lot of people like yourself, like me and others have, have come into the Catholic church discovering things that were much broader that go beyond just our sexuality and that sort of stuff. So, well, this has been a pleasure, Scott. Oh, well, thanks. You did not disappoint. I knew you were going to be, and you're going to share so much (laughs) wisdom I knew you were going to be really articulate and you were going to share well, so you. much. Um, I'm so thankful to have you in my life and so thankful to have you on this oh. podcast. 
thank you guys very much. It was really, I really enjoyed it. And I appreciate you inviting me to come on. Um, next time we should wrangle in a cradle Catholic because I, I didn't realize yes. we're, we're both converts. Yeah. And so I think the convert right. perspective on the Catholic Church is, <laughs> is particular. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, sure. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. This was our last recorded episode before Revoice happening in a couple weeks, a few short weeks. Uh, we would love to see you at the Revoice conference. We'll, um, you can meet us, meet with us after the Thursday main session. So we'd love to see you soon. Talk with you soon. Bye.